Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to ride. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Wait a minute, I tell you. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Welcome to the David Pollock Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the David Pollack Show. Now, this is a Memorial Day special. We're not live. We are pre-recorded. We're usually live right here Monday at 7 p.m., but tonight, we're not. We're not because, you know, it's Memorial Day. We're going to give people a few days off, and I guess including myself, but I never take a day off because here I am doing a pre-recorded show for you guys. But, you know, we have some great guests lined up, so I don't want you to go anywhere. Our first guest is going to come up. His name is uh, Mark Smith. He's a constitutional attorney, so don't go anywhere for that. We're going to be talking about Memorial Day. We're going to be talking about the Civil War. We're going to be talking all kinds of fun constitutional stuff with Mark, so you're going to want to stay tuned for that. We're going to be spotlighting our sponsors, too. So throughout the show today, we're going to be spotlighting some of our sponsors. So I want you to please give them your business, give them your attention. And we even have a pre-recorded uh, interview with Sebastian Gorka. It was awesome. We did it at Freedom Expo. I released it as a podcast, but you guys haven't heard it on air. So you're going to hear that today, too. So we're going to have a great show. It's going to feel live. We're going to get right into the show. And I'm going to welcome my first guest. He's Mark Smith, as I mentioned before. He's a constitutional attorney. He's a member of the U.S. Supreme Court Bar. That's a big deal. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He has newest book. Disarmed. He's going to tell you all about that. Uh, he's a creator and host of the Four Boxes Diner. It's a popular YouTube channel discussing the Second Amendment. We all love our guns, right? And uh, he's also a distinguished scholar at the Ave Maria uh, School of Law and a senior fellow at the King's College. His Twitter handle is at Four Boxes Diner if you want to find him on there. And I'm thrilled to have you on the David Pollock Show. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me on. It is my honor to have you on the show. You have been very busy promoting your new book, Disarmed. And I want you to take a few moments and just tell our listeners listeners a little bit about that book because you've been all over the place. You've been on Fox. You've been on Charlie Kirk. You've been everywhere telling everybody about this important book. So I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, well, Disarmed is very important for American gun owners and people that care about a, a freedom in the United States. Even though the title of the book is Disarmed, what the Ukraine war teaches Americans about the right to bear arms. You know, I'm a big believer that you want to learn about the mistakes that other people make so you don't make them yourself. And the Ukraine war is a great example of this, Dave, because, you know, we here in the United States are blessed with many blessings, including but not limited to the Second Amendment's right to keep and bear arms. Now, now, the Ukrainians did not have a Second Amendment, but 10 years ago, believe it or not, Dave, they contemplated adopting a right to bear arms on par with our Second Amendment. And they chose not to do that. They chose not to build a robust armed citizenry with, with, with private right to bear arms. And of course, guess what happens? The Russians invade and the next thing you know, they're handing out you know military grade weapons, fully automatic machine guns to their citizens to defend the country from foreign invaders. But they don't really have a private gun culture like we do. And I talk about how, well, one wonders whether or not the Ukrainians would have been 
been able to thwart and I mean deter the invasion in the first instance and cause people to be like, hey, you know, Vladimir Putin say, hey, I don't want to invade there because everyone has a gun, uh, which would be a difficult thing to do to invade the United States and our occupy the United States because everyone here basically has guns. And it just really shows the wisdom of our founding fathers adopting the Second Amendment, uh, a, a set of wisdoms, if you will, that the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian people uh, refused to adopt and paid a price. And I talk all about that in the book, Disarmed, what the Ukrainian war teaches uh, Americans about the right to bear arms and why we're blessed to have it and why the Ukrainians paid a heavy price for not having one. Yeah, you know, I, I talk about that all the time, like just uh, amongst my friends and when we're having discussions, it's like, do we worry about places like China or Russia actually having a land invasion in the United States? We all have like five guns. We're so heavily armed. And I know that a lot of people think, you know, that that Second Amendment is so important because it protects us from our own government. And I agree with that. But what also makes it so important is that it keeps us a very well armed nation and it protects us from foreign nations invading us. And I think that's what your book speaks to so well is that, look, if Ukraine wouldn't have been disarmed. Think about whether or not Russia would even be invading. And now they have to wait for the United States to send them weapons for them to use, right? Well, that's, that's exactly right. And remember, with the fall of the Soviet Union, Ukraine had one of the largest sets of nuclear weapons in the world. They had a robust you know, set of small arms with ammunition. They were one of the most armed societies in the, in the world because they inherited all that from the Soviet Union. But then Barack Obama, and I talk about this in my book, Disarmed, Barack Obama and Bill Clinton literally saying things like, for the safety and security of the Ukrainian people, persuaded the Ukrainian government to get rid of all their nuclear weapons and then sell all their small arms and get rid of their small arms on the grounds that, in theory, they could depend upon others like the United States for protection. That was at least the theory. But of course, it turns out that, well, uh, you know, disarming your population is never a good plan. And I think that's a lesson not just for international politics, Dave, but for you and I as just American citizens and as people. Being disarmed is never better than being armed. And I think the Ukrainian story teaches this. And not only, and again, that's why I wrote this short book, uh, because it really does teach Americans the value of the Second Amendment we have here. And you're right, we don't worry so much about being invaded, but that is absolutely not the case, that people don't want to invade us. I mean, we have, you know, you know, very violent cartels just south of the border in Mexico. We have a whole host of cartel-like organizations in Central America, not to mention the, the, the existence of the Russians and the Chinese. They would love to invade the United States and take us over if they could, but they know it's just not possible. In addition to, of course, our very robust, strong military, they also would be fighting, you know, every block against armed citizens. It would just be impossible, which, of course, is what the Japanese knew in World War II, because they invaded Korea, they invaded China, and guess they thought about invading the United States, and they gave up, because how could they possibly invade the United States? Because, again, uh, they'd be fighting American citizens, like, literally every square mile of the country. Yeah, and, you know, that's an excellent point, too, about the cartels coming across the southern border. By the way, with the guns that they received from the United States during fast and furious under Obama where they, they lost track of many, many high-powered weapons that are now in the cartel's hands. So that's an issue. And you're right. What happens when the United, if the, if the Democrats had their way and the United States citizens were disarmed, uh, we'd basically be helpless to the cartels coming across the border with the guns that they got from us. We'd be helpless to any other invading nations. But more importantly, we'd be helpless to our own government who also has those guns. And let's not forget how we were founded as a nation. I mean, it was freedom from tyranny that inspired our founding fathers to fight. And they knew how important it would be that communities can remain well-armed militias in and of themselves to protect themselves from the government because they knew how 
dangerous the government can be. And it's not like every gun owner is this prepper who sits around in a bunker somewhere with freeze-dried goods uh, waiting for the government to come after him. That's not really what it is. But what it is, it's a sense of, a sense of responsibility that you know, you are the government's by the people, for the people. And that duty to protect your country and to protect your citizens from the government if necessary, all that goes into what was considered in the Second Amendment, right? Well, yes. If you think about what was the purpose of the whole Constitution, the entire Constitution, including the Bill of Rights, was essentially an attempt to check the dangers of a government going rogue and becoming a new King George III, right? It was about protecting individual liberties. And there was a whole host of ways the founding father came up with uh, ways to check government overreach. You know, the separation of powers, the notion of federalism, a bill of rights, you know, staggered limits for, uh, you know, the Senate versus the House and so on and so on. But of course, one of those checks was indeed the right to keep and bear arms, because if you can't trust your citizens with guns, how can you trust your citizens to, you know, run the country? Right. Because we are governed by we the people. And if you can't trust we the people to elect our representatives, why would you trust them in the guns and vice versa? And again, you know, going back to and I talk about this in in disarmed, uh, the new, you my new book there, Dave, I talk about, you know, this goes back to Greco-Roman times. Basically, there's three components to a citizen versus like a serf or a slave or a subject. A citizen has the right to private property. A citizen has the right to vote. And a citizen has the right to bear arms. And if you don't have all three of those, well, you're really more akin to a subject or a serf and not a citizen. And the founding fathers understood this, which is why they made sure that we, you know, had all three of those things, you know, protected via the Constitution. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, too because that's an important point, too, about our founding fathers. They were they were very educated, well-read people. They understood uh, political philosophy. They understood what went wrong, what goes right in the different forms of government. They were also deeply religious people. And when you combine the knowledge of what's successful in a political society versus a natural society and all of these great kind of political philosophical ideas, I, um, the cool thing about all of that is understanding that is being able to build a nation, an experimental nation, on the idea that certain rights are God-given and, and from the creator inalienable rights, but we're willing to give up certain rights in order to have a society where there's no anarchy, where there's peace. But at the same time, that society can't be just unchecked with government power because our founding fathers knew of the dangers of unchecked power with a government. So there had to be this balance. And that's the beautiful thing about our constitution. Our constitution, and you learn this in law school, the very first thing is that people think that their rights come from the constitution. And, and it's, the rights come from God. The Constitution is a document that limits the government's rights. You have your rights at birth. The government can't take those rights because that document limits what the government can do to you, right? Well, that's right. And, you know, the Founding Fathers specifically wrote, if men were angels, there'd be no need for government. The role of government is to protect our God-given fundamental individual rights. That is the sole purpose of government, because it's easier to do it with a collective government to protect our rights than each of us individually. That's the idea. But of course, governments can overreach. They can go rogue. And the the founding fathers read thousands and thousands of books about what could go wrong, societies that had arisen and societies that had collapsed. And in the context of doing that, they came up with the best possible way that they could conceive of, of how to have a strong government that protects our liberties, but one that cannot go rogue and and basically, uh, you know, do what, what terrible tyrannical governments have done to their own citizens in the past. And one of the critical checks and balances is the right to bear arms and armed citizenry. In fact, I write about this in the book, Disarmed, uh, Dave, 
specifically one of our earliest Supreme Court justices, the youngest ever, a man named Joseph Story. Now, Joseph Story is a very important person that most people don't know about. He was the Supreme Court justice that wrote the Amistad decision in the Steven Spielberg movie Amistad. You may recall that mm-hmm. about the free, he freed the slaves that had you know fought back against their Spanish enslavers. And it was Joseph Story that wrote the opinion for the Supreme Court that freed the slaves. But Joseph Story is extremely important for some other reason. He wrote the earliest discussion of the importance of the Second Amendment's right to bear arms in the Constitution when he was a law professor and a Supreme Court justice at the turn of the 19th, you know, right from the 18th and the 19th century. And what he said was the right to bear arms among the citizens was the palladium of the liberties of a republic. Meaning it was the essence of the liberties of Americans. It was the essence of the republic because, again, it offers a strong moral check against the usurpation and arbitrary power of rulers. He talked about its importance against foreign invaders, domestic insurrections, and uh, the domestic usurpations of power by its rulers. So he literally says that this is a natural defense of a free country. Now, this is not Mark Smith at the Four Boxes Diner or or, or whatnot. This is literally one of our earliest Supreme Court justices writing just after the Founding Father. And by the way, Joseph Story, the Supreme Court justice who wrote those powerful words that I talk about in my book, Disarmed, who appointed him to the Supreme Court? That would be President James Madison. James Madison is the man that literally wrote the United States Constitution, and he picked Joseph Story, and that's what Joseph Story said about the right to bear arms. I don't know if a lot of people have followed that Amistad story and the, and the case. It's very fascinating. If you like U.S. history, y'all should go and check it out, and that's interesting. Insights. And they can check out the movie. Steven Spielberg did the whole movie about Amistad. That's where most people know the story from. Yeah, it, it's really a spectacular story. Um, I'm going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about the constitutional protections of the Second Amendment. We're going to talk about a few different things uh, we're going to talk about the, memor- the meaning of Memorial Day. We're going to talk about all kinds of fun stuff. So don't go away. Stay tuned to the David Pollack Show. Uh, we have more coming back. Mark's sticking around. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Welcome to another Sponsor Spotlight. You might recognize this guy. He's the Topper's Ice Cream Guy, but he's not just an ice cream store owner. He's also the managing partner for FinSec Life. And that's the ad you hear with all the disclaimers. But what he does is actually really important to protecting your assets. Scotty Cahill, welcome back to The David Pollock Show. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your other business at FinSec Life? Sure, David. I uh, started this business several years ago. And what it is, is everyone has a need for life insurance but a lot of times it's understand the strategy behind the life insurance that makes it uh, valuable to the customers, whether it's individuals, families, uh, or for businesses. With that, we've had people come to us uh, from other brokerage firms, other places where they were either declined or they were severely undersold. And, uh, and one thing we do well is we'll take the problem, we'll take the situation, and we'll uncomplicate it, untangle it, and get them back to what they originally wanted, what amount they needed and so they could support their family. Let's just assume I'm just a regular guy who I'm looking for life insurance. What What is it about your company that sets you apart from the other guys? I mean, I know you personally. You're a great guy. You're super bright. You take care of your customers, both at Toppers and at FinSec. But let our listeners know exactly what they can expect when they come see you at FinSec Life. Good question, David. We uh, take a, a holistic approach to uh, each client. Each one is treated as an individual case-by-case basis. And what we'll do is we'll gather their information and based on their current status, 
current situation, family, whether it's a business, and uh, approach that to our internal team of underwriters. And uh, we'll shop, you know, shop their case with several insurance carriers without having any of them making a commitment yet, but to get an idea of where the best offer is. And from there, we go back to the client and we determine what is in their best interest. And from there, we can just take that and, and go through the underwriting process. Now, sometimes that can be pretty pretty uh, extensive. And so what we'll do is we'll go through that underwriting process, keep them posted on the step-by-step, but we also have uh, great relationships with the carriers that allows us to work through what could be a complicated situation in a seamless and sometimes expedited manner. So it allows us to be able to keep that personal touch with the client through the process and especially untangle anything that may be complicated and not easily understood when it comes to buying life insurance. So it sounds like the personal service is really what sets you apart from from the other guys out there. Hey guys, listen, I know Scotty, he will take care of you over at FinSec Life and it's not just life insurance. They they offer all kinds of uh, products that can protect your assets. So please go and visit my sponsors. How can they find you, Scotty? You can go to FinSecLife dot com and that's f-i-n-s-e-c life.com and uh, you'll be able to find us there or you can even call us at 407-841-2480 scotty thank you so much for you and finsec life and toppers being such great supporters of the show guys if you like hearing us on the air you have to support our sponsors they take care of us so please take care of them thank you so much for being a such an important part of the david college show thank you david Well, I hope you enjoyed that spotlight on our sponsors. We have more coming up throughout the show. Um, Please go and visit our sponsors. Remember, they keep us on the air. So if you're enjoying this program and you enjoy all of our programs, doing business with our sponsors is the way to make sure you keep hearing great content. Mark Smith is still with me author of Disarmed, and we've had some great conversations about that book. I mean, we're having a great conversation on the show. I'm, I'm, I'm learning a lot, and so I really appreciate you being here. I want to talk a little bit more about the Second Amendment. I, I know you touched on the brilliance of our founding fathers and the way they wrote certain protections in to free us from tyranny. Um, interesting enough, today is Memorial Day, and if I hope everybody's listening, they've had a fun, relaxing day, um, remembering the people who have fallen to uh, give us these freedoms. Um, used to be Decoration Day, um, and then around after, I guess, the time of the Civil War, World War I, it became Memorial Day. The interesting thing is, here we are on Memorial Day talking about all of the freedoms that uh, we have and, and the people who sacrificed for it. But at the same time, those freedoms, and like we talked about earlier, are secured by the Constitution. And I have actually, actually an interesting question for you, Mark, because uh, this was probably, uh, what, maybe 2020. It seemed like maybe a little earlier. It seemed like the world, or at least America, was falling apart. It seemed like we were destined. Everybody was like, are we going to have a civil war? It just seemed like a civil war was imminent. But the thing is, I you know, I don't, I don't know that we're going to have a civil war. We're certainly divided. But I started looking back at American history, and I'm like, man, are we heading to a civil war? So I wanted to learn about the civil war, but I didn't stop there. I went all the way to the founding of the country, and I said, let me go to, like, pre-revolutionary America forward. I made it all the way to the civil war, and I learned a lot of really interesting things. I've learned that fake news has always been a thing uh, since the founding of the country. I've learned that we've almost had civil war on several occasions. I learned that we've never really agreed on a lot of things, but somehow um, the idea of freedom endures and the idea of America is strong enough to survive. So I'm optimistic that even though we're divided as a nation right now, I do believe that the American spirit will persevere. But one thing that I always thought about the Civil War, and I thought this was very interesting because I'm a big believer in states' rights. And as a constitutional lawyer, I'm really interested to get your opinion on this. I think states' rights are the most important aspect of what keeps our republic healthy. And that's the idea that we have 50 independent states, but we're united under uh, one government. 
But it seems like the Civil War kind of tested that idea. And, and this deals with, and, and, and David Pollock Show listeners, we're going on one of these rabbit hole tangents, but this is going to be a great conversation. I just feel it. The thing is, um, up until the Civil War, we've had to deal with this, this sin of slavery in our country since the very beginning. We really didn't know what to do with it early on. Um, there was a lot of compromises struck. We might not have had a constitution or even a country, um, you know, but for some of these slavery compromises, which inevitably ended up leading us to a civil war. Um, but what was interesting in that civil war is up until that point, it seemed as if we were uh, a republic of states, independent states. But what does that mean? If you're joined the union, then arguably you should be able to leave the union. I know a lot of people talk about this national divorce idea now, but around the time of the civil war, we're in a period where South Carolina is mm. like, you know what, United States government, we don't really want to be a part of this thing anymore. We want to do what we want to do. Uh, and we're leaving. We're out. We're taking our ball. We're going home. And the government said, no, you're not. And that was basically the beginning of a civil war and one of the deadliest battles in American history. More U.S. service members died in the civil war at the hands of other Americans than in any other conflict in history and possibly even combined. So when you look at what what this country went through in the civil war and what the aftermath was, I wonder and I still think about this a lot because. Yes, it was a horrible thing of slavery that caused us to lead to the first civil war. But at the end of it, it seems like states' rights were forever damaged because no longer was a state voluntarily in the union. Before, was, I don't know if you've ever seen a Bronx tale. There's that scene where the mobsters and the bikers have a big brawl where the bikers just want a beer. And they're like, let us have a beer and then we're going to go home. And then they go and spray their beer over the bartender. And then the mobster locks the door and he goes, now you can't leave. The Civil War was our now use can't leave moment because now the states weren't free to leave. And I feel like states' rights have forever been infringed. And as a result, we've had conflict after conflict at a Supreme Court level. We've had, you know, the abortion issue is a perfect example of it. But gun rights is another perfect example. The states are no longer making the rules. It seems like the federal government is. And I think that is what's leading to all the division in this country is the idea that these states don't have the authority, but this federal government can tell all 50 states what they must do. And I'm interested to get your thoughts as a constitutionalist about all of that. I know I gave you a mouthful and an earful, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Well, I think the federal government has grown way too large. And I think that the real reason why it has grown so large is that, I think there's several reasons. One is that unlike state governments, Dave, the federal government can print money. Now, right, if you think about it, the state of Florida, for example, uh, can only balance their budget by bringing in actual money and paying their actual bills. But the federal government, because of the Federal Reserve and the interrelationship with the Treasury Department, we don't need to get into these details. But basically, the reality is that the federal government can print money uh, almost at will. Right. And that allows it to expand far beyond its means. That's the first thing. The second thing, of course, is we have had a concentration of power in the federal government, largely because of these administrative agencies. You know, the EPA, you know, if you look at the number of cabinet officials that existed in the, in the cabinet at the time of the founding and even in the 1920s versus today, you know, we have an explosion of the EPA, the FBA, these alphabet agencies that's really started getting going during the 1930s with the election of Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the growth of the administrative state, the executive branch has been just, you know, just so huge with the number of like literally hundreds of thousands of people that work for the federal government, I think. Um, that I think has made it so unwieldy and large 
that with a centralized government in a way that's gone beyond the constitutional understanding, uh, which was the idea that the federal government would be a government of limited, enumerated powers. But it seems like that's not the case. And of course, they have the power of the purse. They can say to, you know, like a state like New Hampshire or Arizona that says, you know, back in the day, if you don't want to, you know, lower your speed limit to 55, if you don't want to honor Martin Luther King Day, uh, if you don't want to change your law of X, Y, and Z way, then we're just going to cut off your highway funds or whatever it is. And now you have this kind of a financial carrot and stick to the state saying, you better behave or we're going to cut off all your federal funding for whatever the project is that you want. And yeah, I think that the states have grown a lot weaker relative to the federal government. But with that said, I think there is a new understanding of this. And you see what's going on in the Southeast, uh, you know, Arkansas, Florida, Texas. You see how they're fighting on behalf of gun rights and other issues. There is a resurgence in the authority of the states, the powers of the states that did not, hasn't existed for many decades. And as to what happens in the future, look, we don't know what happens in any country. All we know is from history, Dave. And if you look back in time, the Roman Empire existed for a thousand years and then went away. At the start of World War One, there were three empires, right? You had, uh, you know, you, you had all these great empires, that were, including the Russian Tsar. And at the end of World War One, four or five years later, they're all gone. So you really cannot, as a friend of mine always says, Dave, you, the history of the future has yet to be written. So this is a reason why I think the founding fathers did understand this, and they ensured that people had arms because you just don't know what's coming around the corner. No one can predict the future. You know, who would have thought that we'd have 9-11? Who would have thought we'd have this COVID pandemic thing? Who would have thought that, you know, the state of New York would be shutting people into their homes for months on end? None of this stuff is really foreseeable. These are what are known in economics often as black swan events, you know, events that no one sees coming. And uh, the one thing we do know is there will be things coming down the road that none of us have foreseen. Uh, the election of Donald Trump in 2016 was another example. So more of this will be coming. Some will be good. Some will be bad. Hopefully the good outweighs the, the bad, but one doesn't know. And so you always have to be prepared whether you want to be a quote unquote prepper or not. You better be prepared for uh, all sorts of contingencies because again, there are no guarantees in this life. And that includes for humans. It also includes for governments. It also includes for nations. And you know, that's an excellent point. You talk about these black swan events, but it seems almost as if the future might not be written, but it's certainly being planned. And I, I think the radical left has some ideas about what they want the future to look like. And you talk about black swan events being unpredictable. I think some of these black swan events are very predictable, considering what they're willing to do. And, and, and the big danger there, I mean, look at COVID, for example. I mean, granted, I don't think the, the, the virus itself was intentional, but we all know it was released from a, a lab in China. And the aftermath of it, I mean, it, I think it was very intentional of what they did with vaccines and masks and everything to try to, you know, keep people cooped up and to try to take rights away. I mean, we have to be aware of these black swan events. And, and even when there but are Dave, black... the most important thing and Dave, the most yeah. important thing about all this, in my view, that happened was that in the summer of 2020, they decided to change all the rules associated yeah. with the presidential election. Yeah. Right. We all of a sudden went from election day to next thing you know, we have like six weeks to vote and mail-in ballots. Absolutely. So in other words, you know, so now again, you know, you can have a debate about what all that meant, but I can tell you this, that was not what was being planned for the years leading up to that 2020 election. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I, I analogize it to this. It's like, Dave, you and I say in three years from now, we're going to play a big football game. You and I draft big guys and we get ready to play a football game. And then three months before the football game, somebody says, oh, actually, did I say football? No, no, no. I meant, uh, I meant uh, ice hockey. But we've been planning for years for a football game. 
And I think a lot of that, you know, in the summer of 2020, the changing of the rules was a way to take advantage of that COVID situation oh, yeah. in a way that obviously I don't think favored Donald Trump, for example. Oh, yeah. Well, never let a crisis go to waste. And the thing is, a lot of right. this crisis now are by their own either negligence or intent. And, you know, bringing it back to the gun conversation, I mean, you have this string of trans activists becoming violent, shooting up schools like, for example, in Nashville. And now, of course, what do they use that crisis for, that black swan event for? Now they use it to say, well, see, you need to get rid of these guns, these dangerous uh, semi-automatic machine guns that, you know, they don't even know what they're talking about 90% of the time when they talk about weapons. But this is the thing. They're using these events now to now take away guns. And it's like they, they one thing after another. First, they're going to interfere with your elections. Then they're going to interfere with your Second Amendment. And that's the real risk is we got to be aware of how they manipulate these black swan events in order to convince people to do something that they don't want to do. And disarmed is a perfect example of what we don't want to end up doing. Yes, all of us don't want to see horrific mass shootings and all of us might be more willing to be like, well, maybe some gun restrictions are okay. But one thing leads to another, just like some restrictions on COVID are okay. Oh, I guess I could wear a mask here. The slippery slope is once you give up a right, just like once you start paying a tax, it's very difficult to get that right back. And we don't want to end up like Ukraine. I'm going to give you the last word here about, I want you to tell everybody how they can listen to you, where they can find your book, um, and and talk about all the ways they can follow up and, and, and learn about all the research you've done in this wonderful topic. Great. Well, if anyone is interested in the super inside geeky details of the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, its history at a level that you won't find anywhere else. Check out you know, my YouTube channel, the Four Boxes Diner Second Amendment channel, where I really get into super inside information about the Second Amendment stuff. Again, you know, you'll find in history books, but you got to look through a lot of history books. And of course, you can check me out on Twitter at Four Boxes Diner. And of course, my new book is Disarmed, What the Ukraine War Teaches Americans About the Right to Bear Arms, because we Americans should learn from the mistakes and lessons of other people. People, and the Ukrainian people made a whole lot of mistakes in allowing themselves to be disarmed. And we never want to make those mistakes here in the United States. We always want an armed citizenry that is mission critical to protect our lives and our freedom. Mark Smith, thank you so much for being on the David Pollack Show. Um, we hope to have you again, and, and congratulations on your new book. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. Well, everybody, stick around. After the break, we're going to have yet another sponsor spotlight. And don't forget, coming up, we have the interview with Sebastian Gorka. I know it's not a great impression, but it's the only one I got. So stick around. Home.